you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. God. And so uh, today we're going to jump right into our series for this morning. If you've been with us, we've been on a series in the book of Acts called Jesus Builds His Church. The book of Acts is really just about the beginning parts of the church as we would call it today. Um, Even back then, Jesus had done his ministry and we see that in the first four gospels. We see different observations uh, in the first four gospels of of what Jesus was doing and what he was building. He said, I was, he, he said he was building a kingdom that's not from this world. He was building a kingdom differently than everybody else would build. And then what we see in the book of Acts is him leave planet earth after he had died on the cross, after he had resurrected from the dead. He then appears to a select number of people, including his disciples, and he tells them that they're going to go now and build his church. And then we see uh, the, the disciples and those that were there build his church and and they continue to build his church all over the world. I don't know if you noticed, but we're a long way from Jerusalem where they were. And so the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ has spread all over the world and it continues to spread uh, the good news of his message, what he came to do. And so this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 28. Uh, the title of our message is God's Open Door. Everybody say, God's Open Door. You can put that in the comment section if you're watching online. We want to welcome those. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, as I thought about that word door, uh, if you're a parent in the room or if you've had little kids before uh, and you try to leave the house, how many know that's always just like a roller coaster trying to leave the house with all the stuff that you have to have, right? You know it's bad when your neighbors look at you and they think you're going on vacation and you're just like, no, this is just my average day. I'm just trying to throw all the bags into the car, get them in and everybody be happy, right? That's just the goal of that particular moment. And, uh, you know, so for me, there was uh, just a few weeks ago, we were getting our kids in the car and we got them in the car and, and then I realized I forgot something, so I had to go back inside the house to go grab it. And then I come back out, and my wife's getting ready to get in the car, and I say, Amber, do you have the diaper, ba- diaper bag for Everett? And she just looks at me, uh, a little confused as to what I just said. And I go, do you have the diaper bag? And then it, wasn't, it moved from the confusion look to a shocked look, because I was so adamant about, where is this diaper bag? I cannot find the diaper bag. And so now she moved from confusion to shock. And then I said, do you have the diaper bag? And then she just got concerned. Have you ever seen a concerned look like on somebody's face? She got concerned and she just said, Bobby. I said, yes, where's the diaper bag? She said, it's on your shoulder. And I said, <laughs> how many know as a parent, sometimes everything just goes out the door. Like you just can't, you just can't put all the pieces together all the time. And so uh, little did I know that the bag was on my shoulder the whole time. And so... On our way, we made it, amen. And uh, 
And so this morning, as we look at, to God's Word today, we're going to look at how God opens doors for us as a follower of Christ. And so if you've been with us, we've seen this in the, the book of Acts as, as God continues to build His church, and He's doing things that uh, were quite unexpected all the time. There were many different things that are happening that were unexpected. One in particular scene or story was the, the man named Saul. Uh, he eventually changes his name to Paul, which we will see in Acts 14, the name Paul come out. Um, so at this point, we've even seen Saul, a guy who dedicated his life to persecuting the church, was literally his mission in life was to eliminate Christianity off the face of the earth. That was his goal because he didn't want anybody talking about Jesus. He didn't like the name Jesus. And so he literally was doing everything possible to eliminate Christianity off the face of the, the earth. And then we see a, a really an amazing turnaround in his life where he eventually gives his life to Jesus. And then we see him now going around, and the one Christianity that he was trying to destroy, now he's spreading that all over as many places as he possibly can get to. And so we see that remarkable story, and then we see him come in Acts chapter 14, a man named Barnabas is also with him in this passage of Scripture in Acts 14. And this is a particular point in time. If you've read the book of Galatians in the New Testament, this is one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's letters in the book of Galatians. Um, there's, uh, there's a connection between Acts 14. Many, many biblical scholars believe that what is taking place in South Galatia and what happens in the book of Galatians, they're connected to each other. Um, and so a lot of biblical scholars believe that book Galatians is specifically written to this specific area in Galatia. And so we'll see some city names, some places that they'll go to. And so you'll make the connection uh, when, you, when you read Galatians in Acts 14, you'll make the connection as to why they were talking about the things they were talking about in the book of Galatians. But uh, So we're going to ask for three things to, to see God's open door. We're going to ask for three things. Number one is going to be wisdom. Number two is going to be eyes of faith. Number three is going to be perseverance. These are three very key characteristics that you and I need to obtain. And so what's going to happen in this passage of Scripture is these three characteristics are pulled out as they go through the book of Galatia, or the, the South Galatia. Uh, because Paul and Barnabas have been sent on a mission. They've been given uh, a mission to go and spread the good news of Jesus Christ, and they're going specifically here. There's going to be uh, places they go to in here that have uh, some, um, some Jewish roots and Jewish beliefs. Then they're going to go to places in uh, other places of South Galatia that have absolutely no idea who the name of Jesus is. Like there, it is totally foreign to them, and it and you'll see that as we read it. But um, so we're going to be reading this in, in in the book of Acts, chapter fourteen, verses one through seven. And the first one that we're going to look for when it comes to God's open door is we ask for wisdom. Everybody say wisdom, wisdom. If you're watching online, you can put that in the comments for us. The word wisdom. And what we're going to discover is this, is God goes before us. This is what it says in verse, we're going to start in verses 1 through 3. It says that um, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other gen, the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed, everybody say confirmed, that's a key word, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. 
And the reason why I'm saying that God goes before us is because you and I need to know a very famous phrase Jesus would use with his disciples when he first called them. And I mentioned this several weeks ago. He uses the word, follow me. Have everybody seen that in the Gospels before? That phrase, follow me, which means you are following him. He's not following you. This is very critical. When you and I hear that phrase from Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, I am actually going ahead of you. I will be in front of you. So whatever door you and I walk through, Jesus has already been there for you. He's already walked through that door. He's already knows what, what can happen. He already knows all of that. He is going before us. And so this is so critical that you and I understand this. So when it comes to this idea of wisdom, James 1, 5, James chapter 1, verse 5, a New Testament book towards the end of the Bible, will say, if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God, who will give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Notice it says, it will be given to you. It's not a matter of if it will, it's it will be given to you. You don't have to be the best person to receive wisdom from God. God is gracious. He is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is just. He is all these different characteristics. He will be faithful even when we're faithless. God will give you wisdom if you ask it of him. So many people discount themselves, or say that they, they don't deserve anything from God. God, God can't love them. I'm, I'm, I beg to differ. The Bible says the exact opposite of what you're saying. The Bible is very clear. If any of you lack wisdom, how many of you know that covers everybody? If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who will give it to you generously. I love that word, generously, which means he's not going to give you a little bit. He's going to give you his very best. When I serve, I want to give God my best. Why? Because he's given me his best. When I give, I want to give, I want to give God my best. Because why? Because he's given me his very best. I want to do the very best I can because of what he has given to me, what he has put in my hands. And I want to be faithful with what he has given to me. And so it's so critical that you and I ask for wisdom. This is not human wisdom. Human wisdom can only go so far. But what can be so interesting when you ask God for wisdom is he unlocks truths that you did not know about before. He unlocks things that he desires to give to you, and only he will give it to you. People can't give it to you. He can give it to you. This is so critical to know because, honestly, there is a message being preached all over the world. There are different messages. I don't know if you know that, but if you watch the news, if you get on social media, there's a number of different messages being spread, right? And I can't think of a more difficult time to trust anything or anyone than right now, where it's like anybody can say whatever they want, but we don't know what's truth and what's not. And so what's so critical is that you and I figure these kinds of messages out. So the world can be preaching a number of different, different things. There can be different faiths. There can be uh, you know, different religions and, and different political messages. There can be different movements. All these different things can be shared over time. And so many different messages are going to spread. So what you and I need is wisdom. Wisdom in how to evaluate the messages that are being shared. Because remember what, that book, what we just read. It says it confirmed, right? That word confirmed through what? Through signs and wonders and the miraculous things that were taking place. It was confirmed. It wasn't just information that they were being given. But there was something happening that was visual, that people could see, that people were witnessing. But what we also have to know is that there were people who believed and there were still people who refused. So just because somebody says, 
If I see God do a miracle, then I'll believe. Not necessarily. The Bible actually says there are some who will and some who won't. We can't really evaluate as to why. All we can say is there is unbelief. And so often people make that wager and say, well, if, if God does this or God does that, then I'll believe him. And so often that can take place. But what's so critical to understand when it comes to what messages we hear, what, what, which ones should we believe? Jesus said this in Matthew 12. I've been there this week. Jesus said this in Matthew 12. He talks about the mouth will speak what it's full of. So whatever comes out of the mouth of an individual, it actually is revealing the heart of the individual. It's revealing what's deep down inside of us. And so you and I have to be careful about what sources we choose to believe. We have to be careful and we have to evaluate the original source of that particular information that's being shared. Now, what I don't want us to do is being skeptical of every individual that we come in contact with. What I'm simply saying is this, is if you encounter somebody, especially when it comes to somebody who's not a Christian, who doesn't believe in the same things you do, that's fine. That's okay. What you and I can, figure, what you and I can do is figure out what message they're sharing and confirm the messages that Jesus also shared. So, for example, somebody says, I think we should give to the poor. But then there are different routes and methods that they choose to do that. And some of it could be biblical, some of it could not be. What I like to do is point out what Jesus says. And then I love to say, hey, Jesus loves to give to the poor. He told us to do that. He says, don't forget the poor. And so what are you doing? You're bringing Jesus into the middle of a conversation. You're bringing him in. You're, you're, you're confirming something about Jesus' message that they, deep down inside, know to do. Maybe the route and maybe the methods that they're choosing to do aren't biblical, but at least it's been instilled in them some way, somehow. You see how that works? You just simply figure out what does Jesus say and how can I bring that particular part up so that I bring Jesus into the conversations. It's so critical that you and I have that wisdom. Now for Paul and Barnabas, what they are doing and what so many in the world try to do often is this. Is, it's quite the opposite of what Paul and, Bar Bar Paul and Barnabas are doing because a lot of people in the world are not really interested in building God's kingdom. They're interested in building their own kingdom. They're interested in building their own agendas, their own particular things, what they want to do, their own selfishness. It's all, it all can be sugar-coated, but really behind it all, it's really, it's really just about building their own kingdoms. What Paul and Barnabas have clearly shown in this particular passage of Scripture and what they're doing is it's not about building their own kingdoms because if it was about building their own kingdoms, Paul would have gone back to his former life because he built his own kingdom or he was trying to build his own kingdom, gaining wealth, influence, power, all these different things that he was obtaining. And he said, it was worthless to me once I discovered Jesus. It was worthless to me. And so he became more interested in building God's kingdom over his own. So was Barnabas. And so what do these things tell us is that signs and wonders can happen. Even here today, Jesus desires to heal. Jesus desires to provide. Jesus desires to give his wisdom. Jesus desires to provide freedom. He desires to give you peace. And these are all the things that the world tries to say that it can give you, but it's really a facade. It's not true. It maybe is temporary, but it's not an eternal peace. It's not an eternal freedom. It's not an eternal joy. There's something different that Jesus can give you that the world cannot give. It's, it's just the fact of the matter. And it's not just an outward appearance. It's also inward what happens. Something shifts on the inside of your heart. And as we read this, you know, you think things are going to go well. But 
I'm here to say it, it doesn't go so well. It says this in verses 4 through 7. It says, the people of the city were divided. Do you remember Jesus saying, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword? People, that's what they thought Jesus was doing. Jesus is going to bring peace. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I'm actually bringing a sword. What that simply means is what is being confirmed here is that Jesus, the name of Jesus and the gospel being spread all over the world is actually going to divide the world. It's going to divide the city. It's going to divide the community. It's going to divide the neighborhood. Why? Because you are fighting a spiritual battle. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, authorities, and powers of, the, of this dark world. Jesus calls the head of that Satan. He says Satan is the ruler of that. And so you and I are fighting a battle that's not with flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and powers and authorities of the dark world. And the enemy is not going to give up his territory easily. That's what you and I have to realize. Building the church of Jesus Christ is not a comfortable, convenient, easy thing to do, naturally speaking. Simply because you are stepping on the toes of the enemy. You are on his turf, as I like to say. And what you are going to experience is resistance. You're going to, you're going to experience pushback. You can even resist, get, experience persecution, not just physically, although that is definitely one of the ways you could be persecuted, but you could experience persecution in different ways through words or, or different acts that people may do to you. And so this is what happened in this particular passage. In verse 4, it said, Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. What I love is, is this, is that what looks like them running away is actually wisdom. Did you notice when it got hard at the very beginning of those passages, it says they remained there? But then as, as it moves on, within just those few verses, it says there was a plot afoot for them to, they were trying to mistreat them and stone Paul and Barnabas. It says then they decided to flee. What it took was wisdom. When the wisdom that they received from God was to stay, they stayed. When the wisdom that they received was to leave, they left. And what God ended up doing is God began to open up another door. Where did, it, where did they go? It says they went to the surrounding areas. They went to the surrounding areas. And so literally the phrase, what the enemy meant for evil, God turns for good. So literally what the enemy thought he was doing was stopping Paul and Barnabas. And what he literally ended up doing was actually increasing their reach. It forced him to go elsewhere. They were forced to go elsewhere. Because I don't know about you, if you've ever been hit by a rock before, that hurts, right? Think about dozens of rocks. I don't know about you, but that's not what I signed up for, to get hit, hit by those things, right? I mean, it's completely justified for them to, to leave that region because they found it best through wisdom that it's time to leave. They found it wise at one particular time to stay, and now they find it wise to leave. Now, they're not just completely just saying, good luck to this area. We'll find later in this, this very same chapter that they actually come back. I mean, you talk about boldness. They actually come back, but with a different role in mind as they come back. But what's interesting is the wisdom that is used. And this is what I love, is that it's crazy to think that through fleeing, God was actually increasing their reach. I mean, if you, take, if you think about it, God will take pain. He'll take frustrations, discouragement. 
He'll take weaknesses and turn them into moments where he can spread the gospel through you. God can forgive you of everything you've ever done. God will forgive you of your past. But so many times we tried to hide that past and act like, well, it's just, it's just my past. No, what if God wants to use your past? Because no season of your life is ever wasted in God's eyes, even the season that you want to forget about. God will actually use your past to help reach somebody else who's going through the th- same thing in that current moment. But you get to now tell them how to overcome it. God will take anything that you offer to him and he will turn it around and use it as a way to build his church. Now, what do I mean by building his church? Building his church is not filling seats. The building his church is about winning the lost to Jesus Christ, what we would call the lost to Jesus Christ. Remember in the book of Acts, it's a theme that keeps being brought up. It says the, the church was adding daily to those who were being saved. And then there was sometimes there were a given number that was given. This is how many now were added to the church. And then it would say many would be saved and added to the church. It was about winning people to Jesus. That's what it was about. It was about winning people to Jesus. So you and I need to understand what does building his church look like? It's literally winning people one by one by one by one to Jesus. That's what it takes to build his church because he came for the world. That's what John three sixteen says. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave it his son to humanity to die and pay for your sin and my sin He did it for the entire world. He did it for the people who would love him, and he did it for the people who would hate his guts. He did it for all of them. Because he he believes, and this is the heart of God, that you and I need to have a relationship with him. And he wants to have that with us. He wants to have that with all of us. And so he will take anything. He will take anything and give you wisdom in how to move forward. This is the beauty of the gospel. Now, the second part of this is talking about the eyes of faith. Everybody say, eyes of faith. If you're watching online, you can put that in the comments for us. I'm going to read this story. This just, this just gets wild. Some people say the Bible's boring. No, just read this, these next set of verses, and things just get wild, okay? Um, in, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul. As he was speaking, Paul looked directly at him, saw they had faith to be healed, And called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. You would think a revival is about to break out, but here's what happens. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out in the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words... They have difficulty keeping the crown from sacrificing to them. They have people trying to sacrifice. They say, don't sacrifice to us, and yet they still sacrifice to them, right? Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. How many of you think Paul's a pretty bold dude? Like, the people that literally stoned you, you are now going back into their city. Like, 
Like, it, it, he may need to get checked, right? Like, I mean, this is crazy. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. So we'll stop there. I told you this passage of scripture was about to get wild, right? It's like you had the intention of seeing the gospel spread through a healing of a man, which was pretty remarkable in itself, of a guy who was lame, who couldn't walk, and he starts to walk, and you think everybody in the room is now going to give their life to Jesus. This is why I'm saying some people think if, if I see God do this, 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 or this, then I'll believe. I'm just here to say they saw something that was miraculous, and they got totally confused. They thought it was, it was, they thought it was Zeus, right? And they, they started sacrificing to Paul and Barnabas. And so chaos, it seems like, has broken out in this area as to the gospel, is, for the gospel's sake. But what is happening is what Paul and Barnabas have realized is that, you know what, it's winning about, it's winning a person, life by life, building his church. It's winning one by one by one. So we had a place that they were at before this who had some Jewish roots, and now we're in a place where they literally have no idea who Jesus is. They have no clue about it. So it's a, it's a beginning stage for them. And this is such an interesting thing as, as we witness this as to what is, what is happening uh, through this whole situation, which is pretty, pretty crazy to say the least. But what we do notice is this, is this guy is healed. And what I love about this is he, it says he jumped up, which means, in other words, the translation says he sprung up. How many know it's not like, you know, like for me, when I get up, I, like my knees crack. Okay, this guy is like jumping up, right? But my, uh, I had a doctor tell me once, I said, my knees are hurting. And uh, I thought something was wrong. And she just basically said, it's wear and tear, sir. And uh, I realized in that moment, as she smirked at me, she was calling me old. So I said, okay, well, uh, it was good. It was a good, it was a good, rea- uh, good comment to make. And it made me laugh. But anyways, this guy sprung up. He was excited about what just happened. Something was put inside of him to stand up. Remember, nothing in his journey in his life has, up to that point has given him that kind of faith. It says, Paul looked at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. So Paul had the eyes of faith. This man had the eyes of faith. When those two things collide, something miraculous happens. It is so critical that you and I have the eyes of faith. In fact, what is interesting is that this happens in the middle of a sermon. It didn't happen at the end. There was no altar call yet. This actually happens mid-sermon. So I encourage you today, as you even sit here in your chairs, you don't have to wait for God at the end of the service to experience a miracle. You can actually be sitting right in your very seat. And you are starting to get your faith built up. And God is speaking to you. God is saying something to you. Something that maybe you've been praying about for a long time. Maybe you just need encouragement again. Maybe you need strength again. Maybe you literally need a healing physically, or you just need a healing emotionally. There's a number of different things that could be built up in your life right in this very moment where you're, you're sitting there and you're wondering, can God really move? My answer is, yes, he can. And yes, he will. It may not happen the way you think it should happen, but he will. And so... I don't normally do this, but if you need a healing or a miracle, financially, job, 
physical, mental, emotional. Can you just lift your hand up like mine right now? My prayer for you right now is that God will meet you right where you are. If you see something, keep your hand up. If you see somebody with their hand up, can you extend your hand towards them, please? Let's practice. I just feel like God wanted us to pause for a moment. Let's practice what the Word of God has just taught us. Extend your hand towards them, and let's just begin to pray a prayer of faith. If you don't know what to say, say, God move, God heal, God, you know, whatever comes to mind. You say that over and over, but let's pray. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for this moment. Because, God, you are the God who heals. You are the God who provides. You are the God who restores. You are the God who does the miracles. God, this is not a person that can do the miracle. This is not an individual. This isn't about me. This isn't about any individual in this room. But, God, you are the God who moves. And, God, I pray that right now that your presence would infiltrate their very situation because everything must bow before you. Lord, depression must bow before you in Jesus' name. Lord, cancer must bow before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for deliverance from these things. We pray for deliverance from from those who are are seeking a new job opportunity. We pray for the provision to be given to them. Lord, we ask for your healing touch upon their life. God, we pray that the eyes of faith, Lord, that when they believe you and when the faith collides with you, God, you do the miraculous. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the stories that are going to come forward as a result of you meeting with them in this moment. We thank you. Give them the joy that is in their heart. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Isn't God good? I tell you what, God is so good. And this is what's so encouraging to know is that when you recognize what Paul and Barnabas recognized, when they saw resistance, when they saw issues, the perception as to how they looked at it had to be different than the way everybody else looked at it. I noticed a couple of things. They escaped the stoning one time, but they didn't escape the stoning the second time. How many of you saw that? So it happened. But God was going to eventually use that story, which Paul does talk about it in another one of his letters about being stoned. And so what I do know is that God will use anything that we give to him. And it's through the eyes of faith that we see God's open doors. What they realized at this very moment was that even though we had to flee Iconium, we're now in these areas because of the grace of God. Now because he has opened a door for us, and now we see a miracle happen. And so when a door seems to be locked, remember, this is brand new where they're at. This is all brand new. The people didn't understand what was happening. They only went to what was familiar, was these gods that they were familiar with. So when a door is locked, what do you need? Go ahead, shout it out. What do you need? A key. These, how many of you got like 20 keys on you? Like, you got all these keys? Like, I got a lot of, like, people got a lot of keys. You know, keys... There's a lot of keys. They open a lot of different things. They open, like for example, for me, they'll open the office. They'll open a particular door. I have keys for my car. I have keys for, for literally, it seems like a ton of different stuff. A safe, you know, all these different things. There's a number of different keys. I don't like a lot of keys on my keychain, okay? Simply because when I put it in my pocket, it feels like something's stabbing me, right? And it hurts, right? I don't want those keys in my pocket. So I try to limit the amount of keys I have on my keychain. And there's so many different things. This gives me access to so many different things that I have. So many things I own, so many of the things I'm in charge of, I'm responsible for. That's what keys do. Keys open doors. Keys unlock things. In order for you to, and I to see God's open doors, you're going to need him to open it. These are things that 
that come up when you, like, I don't know about you, but a lot of people, when they read this passage of Scripture, they're not seeing God's open door. They're thinking, why are these guys going through all of this to just talk about Jesus? Because they saw it as a door opening that God provided for them. This is not going to be a door that somebody else opens for them. It was only going to be God. And when they gave Jesus everything, they meant it. They said, Jesus, you can even have my life. And so when it comes to pursuing a call of God on your life, what that's going to require is you recognizing who you actually need to open the doors. Because you're going to need wisdom, but you're also going to need eyes of faith. When I think about what happens so many different times with people, the reason why they don't pursue the call of God on their life is because they got a whole lot of keys on their keychain. Because they realize, yes, I love Jesus, but yes, I also love other stuff. And so what was meant to just be all about Jesus, what ends up happening is God is going to take you at your word, and he says, now I'm going to lead you on a journey in you trusting me. Remember, he says, follow me, which means he's a God who goes before you. So all he is asking you to do is join him where he's already been. He's already been there. So what happens is, is we, we want to trust Jesus with our life, with a calling he starts to speak to us. And I'll talk a little bit more specific about that in a moment, but I want you to follow this particular part first, because you have to get this part first before I give you the other part of this. When it comes to following God and the call that he has on your life, what we want is we want comfort, we want convenience, we want all these different things. And I'm here to tell you what these guys are doing in this passage of Scripture was anything but easy. It was hard. But if it's worth it, it will be hard. So many people want to avoid persecution, not just physically. I get that. They avoided it at one particular time, but eventually they did experience it. But they're willing to go through anything and everything for the sake of building the church of Jesus Christ. And what happens is we can start to have other things that are on the keychain. When Jesus, when we literally just sang a song, just give me Jesus. I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of inventions in the world. And I'm waiting for that one inventor to finally give me one key for every single thing. Right? Can I just have a key, please? For a, that works for my car, that works for my house, that works for everything, right? That would be nice. Wouldn't that be nice? Having one key on my keychain? When it comes to following Jesus, the more you go deeper with him, the more you trust him, the more you walk with him, you're going to recognize more and more, if Jesus is all I have, Jesus is all I need. I don't need everything else. I don't need the new car. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need this. I don't need a bigger bank account. What I need is just Jesus. And what you will recognize as you pursue the call of God on your life is how he continuously provides for you miraculously. You will continue to recognize that what you thought was him taking everything from you was actually him giving everything to you instead. It's the exact opposite. But what happens is the enemy decides to do this. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What is he going after? He's going after the call. Because if he, know, he knows if you pursue it, he knows what you will build. So many people throw in the towel with their call because they want more things on the keychain rather than recognizing if Jesus is all I have, Jesus is all I need. If I just go after it, just go after him, he's going to provide for me. 
Remember the, the five loaves and the two fish when Jesus provided for the 5,000? And Jesus was so concerned that they got that point. And he even calls them out on it and says, do you not know what that meant? If you have me, you have everything, in other words. And then there's the rich young ruler. The, the lesson that he teaches with that, a rich young ruler comes to him and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. He says, okay, if you want to follow me and you've done all these stuff already, go and sell everything to the poor and then come follow me. And it says the man walked away sad because, why? Because the man had another key on his keychain, And Jesus called him out on it. Jesus says, you have too many keys on your keychain, sir. You just need one. You just need me. And what that man walked away from in that moment was everything. And he didn't know it. What you and I need to recognize is that Jesus is not trying to steal something from you. That's the enemy. That's Satan. That's what Jesus says. That's Satan. That's what he does. He steals, kills, destroys. What Jesus says is, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. And you'd be like, but Pastor Bobby, it doesn't sound like they're having a whole lot of fun. It sounds like getting, getting stoned does not seem like life more abundantly, right? But I notice this. The more I trust in Jesus, the more deeper I go with him, I realize more and more I just want to actually be with him more than anything because I'm sick and tired of seeing the world hurt. I'm tired of people going through pain. I'm tired of injustices all over the world in our own country, and I get tired of it all. And this is why I long for heaven now more than ever. Because if I can get to Jesus, then I know I have everything. And the only way to get to God, the Father, in heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. People say, well, Jesus is a good teacher. No, it, listen, listen. You've got to understand something. If Jesus says he's the only way to heaven, and we, and we say that's false, that doesn't make him a good teacher. That makes him a false teacher. But if what he says is true, then I want it. And I believe it. And that's what I believe. I believe Jesus was, was rightfully true about that statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will go to God the Father but through me. And the reason why he died on the cross, the reason why he resurrected, because there was no other way. There was no other way. If there was another way, Jesus mentions it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if there's another way, then let's go with that option. But if it's not, if there is no other way, then not my will, yours. Yours, God, be done. And he went through with it. Because why? Because there is no other option. And what Jesus desires to give you and I is everything. Because he wants to unlock new things for you all the time. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you eyes of faith. He wants to give you so much more than you could ever ask or imagine. And what's going to be key for you, pun not intended, but I understand what I just said, um, What's going to be so important for you is to understand what to do when you're asking God for wisdom, when he starts to open up your eyes to see what he sees, just like Paul did. He saw something in a man in a crowd because, listen, Jesus had crowds and that's fine and dandy, but Jesus was called to people. Jesus, read those Gospels and you see so many different times Jesus called out individuals from the crowd and so many individuals came out of the crowd to him. Jesus was after the individuals. Crowds are great, but he was after souls. He was after people who wanted to experience new life in him. That's what he was more interested in. And it's such an important lesson so that when you and I receive his wisdom, 
when you and I start to have this eyes of faith, what we need to do is pray. And what prayer will do is lead you to action, not inaction. So many times we, we get it backwards. We want to pray because we don't want to act. I've learned through my own story that if I'm, if I'm going to pray about something, I better be willing to do something. Because often that can be my crutch to say, oh God, just help. And when I just need to realize, if I'm going to pray this, I better, if God calls me to do that, do something, I better be willing to actually do it. So it lets me evaluate where I am with the Lord. The last part is this, is perseverance. Everybody say perseverance. If you're watching online, you can put that in the comments. And we'll begin to close with this, as it says in verses 21, the second part of 21 through the end of the chapter. It says, Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples. See, they go back to where they were getting stoned, which is amazing. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. How many of you maybe have ever heard that before when it comes to growing in your walk with God? How many of you have been taught as a Christian what they just taught in this moment? We must. That's an important word. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This isn't a life of convenience and comfort. This is about going through whatever it is that we have to go through because it's about building one thing and one thing only. It's building the church by reaching people through whatever comes our way. If I can reach people through my business, I'll reach people through my business. If I can reach people by working for somebody, then I'm going to do it that way. If it's me, you know, whatever, traveling, all these different things. If it's about, if I can just have a reason to reach people, then I'm all for it. This is what they taught these churches in this moment. It says in verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and, went there, and when they had preached a word in Perga, they went down to Italia. How many of you love biblical words in this moment? Amen. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported that the South Galatians are a bunch of jerks. Oh, is that not what it says? It doesn't say that, does it? It says all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stared there a long time with the disciples. Notice what they report. Is even though they experienced hardships, what did they look at? This individual people who had given their life to Jesus. Because when they go back, they knew they were already believers there. Even the places where it was brand new for the very first time in one of the cities. They understood such an incredible lesson here. It wasn't about all the, the, the other hardships. It was about the individuals. It was about names, specific names of people who had given their life to Jesus. It was about that, and it was about building them up. And then it was about, this time they came back, and it was about equipping them to carry on the mission as they go and do their mission. It was about the call. 
It was about what they were called to do because they recognized this. God had gone before them so many different times and he's going to go through more doors, help them go through more doors again. Why? Because he had gone before them. And they have seen that so many different times. And so if, if we must build God's kingdom, if you want to build God's kingdom, the question really then becomes, what am I willing to sacrifice? Because if it's worth doing, it's going to be hard. What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to go through? What am I willing to do? Because it's not about convenience. And so what I have had to do, so now I'm going to follow up with what I was saying before. It's not just a corporate thing as us as a whole, although that does apply. We build his church. But you as an individual get to build God's church. You as an individual. So what do you and I need to do? Well, you need to know how you're wired. I'm trying to save you a lot of time that I have had to go through and discovering this for myself through different people and conversations I've had, different hard questions I've had to ask myself, things that I neglected or I didn't want to do because maybe I just, for whatever reason, I didn't want to do it or, or whatever the case may be. You need to figure out how you're wired. What is God instilling in your heart to do? There may be things that God has put in your heart to do that you have not acted on yet. There may be things that God is putting into your heart that are brand new for the very first time. And you're starting to feel something different about it. What I want to encourage you with this is don't get caught up on the logistics of it all. What you need to do is trust in God. What you need to do is continue to trust him because he provides all the logistical things. The Bible says this, that man makes his plans, but God orders his steps. So just so you know, all these plans you think and how it's going to go, it's probably not going to go that way anyway. God is the one who's going to order your steps. And so how do I remain true to who I am? I, I was asked that question in a time where I was struggling and like with my faith in God to say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why, why am I walking through this? Have you ever asked that? Why am I walking through this? It's okay to talk to God about these things. Why am I walking through this? Why didn't you answer? Why didn't you heal? Why didn't you provide? All these different questions I had with God. Until I realized I went through a hardship because God wanted to open a door for me to walk through because of somebody else walking through the same exact thing. He was preparing me for an individual. The Bible says this, before I have chosen him, he's chosen us. So when I walk through a door, it may be because of a hardship I had to go through, but it was worth it because now I understood why. And then it begins to lead me on more of a journey about who I am as an individual. There are things that you need to write down as to what energizes you as a follower of Jesus Christ. What motivates you as a follower of Jesus Christ? You could do this all day, every day. I like to put it this way. When you do it and you walk away, when other people would normally feel exhausted, you still want to keep moving on or keep talking about it or keep doing it because you could do this all day, every day. And so for me, it didn't come from myself. I had to ask people, ask friends about me who knew me well, and ask them, okay, like, I'm trying to figure out how I'm wired. Can you help me? And here's a couple of things I know that I, about myself, and I continue to evaluate myself, and I'll just give you a few of them. One of them I recognize is I desire to preach the Word of God. I desire that. I would not have said that 15, 20 years ago. I can tell you that much because that was the one thing when somebody asked me, you're going to be a pastor because your dad's a pastor? I said, no, I'm not getting on a stage talking in front of people ever, like ever. How many know that didn't happen? So I'm here. Um, and so 
What I realized, though, it's one of the most exciting things for me to do because I love the preparation stage because there's only so much information I'm going to put on a piece of paper. I actually learn more throughout my, my own study of it. But what's so amazing is doing that. It brings life to me. There's a couple other things. I have to be around non-believers. What I would say, people who are not Christian, people who aren't followers of Jesus. I have to be around them. Why? Because the theme of Acts is very clear to me. Is that when it comes to adding to the church, that's talking about individual people coming to know Jesus. Individuals. So I know I have to be around non-believers. That's not every day, all the time. It is consistency. There has to be some sort of consistency. Another couple of things is that I notice about myself is that I have to develop leaders. I have to be able to do that. I have to, it's a passion of mine. I love developing leaders, and I love equipping them with what they need to do and just releasing them and let them do their thing. I love doing it. Some people have different preferences in how that's done. I have a preference in how that's done. That's fine. It doesn't matter. What I know I have to do is I have to be able to do that with my time. When you start, this is why I'm telling you this. When you start to realize what God has instilled in you, it protects your schedule. It protects all the different things that try to fill it. And what you're realizing is this, is now I'm protecting myself from things that are trying to distract me from what God has called me to do. Do you get it? When you do this consistently, what you start to realize, it makes it easier to say yes to things and it makes it a whole lot easier to say no to some things. Because why? Because you're recognizing what's inside of you. Because God put it there. You didn't put it there. God did. And some things friends had to call out. This one particular one, I didn't come up with this one. My friend came up with this one. He says, you know, I've recognized a lot of different examples with different people, and I noticed what they're doing. And and he says, I noticed you spoke something over them, and it happened. That was humbling. That was not a prideful thing that I received. It was humbling. Because I recognized how many different times I refused to say something because I thought it was wrong. When I realized I allowed the enemy to confuse me, to try to get me to think I was being arrogant or prideful, when it was really God speaking to me and wanting me to say something that I saw in somebody that they did not notice was there themselves. So yes, there have been times where that has happened, but there have also been times where I haven't said something. And I've realized how humbling of that moment was. And so it's learning to be more confident in who I am. Not to be arrogant. I'm not talking about arrogance. I hope everybody understands my context because I recognize when it comes to the call of God, you push the glory away from you. You don't bring the glory to yourself. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about building my kingdom. I could care less about my kingdom. My kingdom doesn't work, first of all. It's not eternal. It's about building his and pushing it, the glory, the honor, and his direction, not in my direction. Because humanity has taught us very easily and very well that we cannot receive a whole lot of glory because as soon as we do, we become destructive people (laughs) because we become super prideful, selfish, all of these different things, and it never goes well. And so for you and I to discover these things about ourselves, it's so critical. So what would I do if I was you? Number one, I would ask the Lord for wisdom. I would ask for eyes of faith. And I would pray that God would help me to persevere into the calling that he has. Because a lot of people jump ship all the time. Why? Because they didn't expect the hardships. They didn't expect. But I'm here to tell you, when you pursue the call of God in your life, the enemy isn't joking. He's not messing around. 
Do you think he's just going to let you walk in on your family and tell them about Jesus? Do you think he's just going to allow you to go into your workplace and start talking to a coworker? Do you think he's just going to allow that to happen without him saying nothing, without him trying to do anything, do mind games with you, all those different things? I'm here to tell you, he isn't messing around. But what you can declare over your own life is what his word says is greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. My God is greater and God has not given me a spirit of fear, but he's given me a spirit of power, of love and a sound mind. That's what he has given me. And as the worship team comes, I'm going to have you all stand to your feet today as we close in a word of prayer. I'm going to have the prayer teams come forward. And today... God has gone before some individuals maybe in this room who have yet to give their life to Jesus Christ. God's gone before you because why? Because now you're here. You may not recognize it right now, or maybe you do, but God has orchestrated your steps through a a family member, through a friend, through something, online thing, whatever it may be. God has ordered your steps to see that, to hear that, to be here. Because why? Because he's gone before you because he desires to have a relationship with you. I want every person in this room to walk out of here confident, knowing that they are a follower of Jesus. And if you're questioning that today, if you're not sure you have done that, I'm here to tell you this is the day where you can walk out of here confident, knowing that you are. There's joy in it. There's joy. Why? Because the joy is not something you created. It was a joy that God gave you. He says salvation has come into your heart when you confess he is Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. There's joy in that. There's a peace there that he will give you. So you say, well, maybe you know you haven't, but there may be some in here who are like, I don't know, maybe, I think. Don't walk out of here saying, I think. Walk out of here saying, I know. And this is a moment, an opportunity you can do that. And we'll have prayer teams come forward. And if you want prayer today, I know we've prayed over certain things already, but if you just need encouragement today, prayer over certain things, specific things, you can make your way forward. You can come see one of the staff. You can come see one of them. Come see Pastor Paul. You come see myself. And we'll pray with you this morning before you leave. Well, let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. That will be our form of dismissal this morning. And let's just be reminded of that this week, that God is going before us to open doors that, can never, that we can never open. And so let's just ask the Lord to, to guide us with his wisdom, with eyes of faith, and with the perseverance to walk through those doors. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence and the power in your name. We thank you for healing. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the miracles. God, we pray this, this morning as we walk out of here, you are the God who goes before us. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us your wisdom, Lord, to pursue what you have called us to do. Lord, give us eyes of faith to believe. And Lord, help us to persevere by walking through those doors of opportunity, even if there's hardship. Lord, let us recognize you're the only key we need to have for us to pursue the calling you have on our life. You will provide everything else that we need. We love you. We thank you. Be with your church today as they go. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy this day. Greet each other as you go. If you need prayer, make your way forward. We'll pray with you. God bless you. Have a great day.